Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well... Hey, Connect. I'm so glad you decided to join us today. If we haven't met yet, my name's Chris. I get to serve on the team here. And just thrilled that you decided to, to join us this morning as we continue our journey through the Bible. At the start of this epic series, we said that reading the Bible can be confusing at times. It's written thousands of years ago by over 40 authors, three different languages, a whole bunch of literary forms. Reading the Bible can be intimidating, can be confusing at times. And often what we do when we approach the Bible is we'll approach it as if it's history or law or uh, a bit of wisdom over here or moral teaching over there. But really, the Bible isn't just a bunch of fragmented bits of literary forms. It's one cohesive story. It's the story of God and how God intends to intersect our story as his people. And what we said way back at the beginning of the series is that while the Bible is complete, the story of God is not yet finished. He is still speaking, he is still working, he is still moving today. And yet, sometimes it doesn't feel like God is still speaking, still working, and still moving today. Oh no, sometimes what it actually feels like, it feels like God's just some distant memory. Or it feels like he's forgotten us as we're stuck in a rut. We can't get out of that, that pattern of whatever the thing is. And we just, we want to break free, but we can't. Or maybe it's where we're held captive to an addiction. If God was even real, sometimes it feels like he is absent and disengaged from our lives. And if you've ever felt that way, I want you to know something. You're not alone. And the people of God throughout history can definitely relate. In fact, we're going to take a look at a time in history when God's people would have felt much of what you may be feeling. So if you've got a Bible, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 1, where we're going to pick up the story in just a moment. You can also follow along and take notes in the app. Now, as you're getting to Exodus 1, what I want to do is kind of set the stage for us and bring us up to speed on what's been happening since Uh, the story of Abraham, which we looked at last week. You see, last time we saw God call a people to himself when he spoke to Abraham. And he promised that he was going to make Abraham into a great nation that would bless other nations. But God is not just a promise maker. He is a promise keeper. We just sang it in that song, Waymaker. My girls love belting it as we drive around town. Waymaker. Promise keeper, miracle worker, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you... Okay, I'll leave it to the worship team. But it's true. God doesn't just make promises, he keeps promises. So even in their old age, Abraham and Sarah were blessed by God with a son, Isaac. Isaac had some kids himself, one being Jacob. Jacob was the one that God promised to fulfill that initial promise to Abraham through his family line. God actually changed Jacob's name to Israel. Maybe you were wondering, why are we always talking about the Israelites? Well, it's this family that was the people of God. 
So God moves in an amazing way. And Jacob, or Israel, had a large family himself, 12 sons, Joseph, his favorite, and then 11 others. If you think I'm kidding about Joseph being his favorite, read Genesis 37. Sometimes, just real quick, sometimes we think that our families are dysfunctional. And if you've ever felt that way, just read the Old Testament. Because this is just the story of, uh, for Joseph, for Jacob, you know, Joseph being the son. Uh, assume, like, I'm just going to assume that you are not announcing your favorite child to everyone else in the family by giving them a colorful robe. And I'm also going to assume that the rest of the family is not revolting at said child and selling them into slavery. Now, if that's the case, if that is true about your life, then your family is not nearly as dysfunctional as Israel's, Israel's family, because that's what happened. And yet, as we just sang, even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, God never stops working. And that's the case that we see in Joseph's story. You see, God took a bad situation and he was working in the midst of it. And Joseph actually ended up taking on a lot of responsibility, authority, influence in Egypt. And his whole family ended up moving there. All of his brothers, dad, the whole crew, everyone moved there to survive a famine. Now, all of with this backstory in place, we're now ready to understand the passage we're going to read today. But before we get into the passage, let's pray. And let's ask that God speak to us in this time. Lord, we, we want to encounter you. We want to hear from you. Some of us, it might feel like we haven't heard from you in a long time or we haven't experienced your presence in a while. So I pray that that'll change right now as we open your word, that you will speak, that you will move. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, picking up in Exodus 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increasing in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Real quick, if you've been with us for any length of time throughout this series, some of this language is probably starting to sound familiar. The, the multiplying, the increasing in numbers. We saw it back in Genesis 1. That was God's, part of God's purpose for humanity. And then when God spoke to Abraham and made that promise to him, he again said, look, I'm going to multiply you. You're going to increase more numerous than the stars in the sky. Well, God is starting to come through on that promise. Because multiplying is part of God's intent. It's part of the way he is going to accomplish his purposes through his people. That's how he impacts the world. It's why we value multiplying for impact as a church. So when God's people multiply, not everyone's thrilled about it, as you might imagine. Let's continue. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came into power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. 
They made their lives bitter with harsh labor, in brick, in mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The Egyptians feared the Israelites, so they enslaved them for 400 years. I mean, can you imagine? God made a promise to your ancestors. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God was fulfilling his promise to your ancestors, but now you and your people, you're enslaved. Like, what the heck, God? What's going on here? Has he, for, like, we knew about like this God who spoke to Abraham, but at this point, it's like he's a distant memory. Had, had God forgotten his promise? Had God forgotten them? Sure must have felt like it. I mean, generation came, generation went. 400 years of slavery. But God actually said this was going to happen. This wasn't part of the promise that was probably passed down. It's not like, oh, let me tell you, son, about what our people's going to go through. No, no. But th- God did tell Abraham that this was going to happen. He said it this way back in Genesis 15. He said, Then the Lord said to him, speaking to Abraham, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So while the Israelites may have possibly forgotten this part of what God said was going to come, God was going to make a name for himself. And he was going to provide for his people through an unlikely means. The lesson for us being that even if our current circumstances aren't our plan, God has factored in our circumstances into his plan. Let me say that one more time because it might feel like God is absent right now. It might feel like he's forgotten you. But I want you to know that even if your current circumstances, they're not what you would like, they're not what you desire, God is still working. And he actually has factored in whatever you're going through and his purposes will prevail. Romans 8.28 encourages us this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You know, in the moment, it's really hard to see God's hand at work. It's really hard to see his hand at work. And maybe that's why you feel discouraged right now. And that makes sense. But what scripture tells us and what history accounts for is that even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, God is still working. He never stops working. And his purposes will prevail. No matter what we're facing, no matter the problem in front of us, his purposes will prevail. And we see this in the Israelites' story. So if you're feeling discouraged and down and dejected, I hope you can be encouraged today by the way God showed up in the Israelites' lives, because he can do the same for us. Let's pick up the story back now in Exodus chapter 2. So while the Israelites are enslaved, God was still fulfilling his purposes. Check this out. Exodus 2.12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Like, even while the Israelites were enslaved, they continued 
to multiply. They continued to increase. God's purposes continued to come about. Only God, like only God can accomplish, accomplish something good in the midst of something bad. And the reason is, is because when God is in it, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop his purposes. And yet when he's in it, it does not mean life's going to be easy. Just look at the, God's people throughout history, the Israelites, you know, up there towards the top. Life was anything but easy for them. And uh, as the population, their population was increasing, while that was exciting for them, Pharaoh felt threatened by it. So he ordered that all the baby boys be thrown into the river. Moses' mom didn't do that when Moses was born. She hid him for three months and then through a divine sequence of events, he actually ended up getting raised in Pharaoh's household. Again, only God. And then even though he was raised like a prince in Egypt, he, he didn't act that way. He remembered his Hebrew, Hebrew heritage. And one day when he was out and about and he saw a slave master mistreating one of his fellow Hebrews, he couldn't take it anymore. So he killed the Egyptian. Initially, he thought he got away with it, but word started to spread, so Moses fled to Midian, foreign land. He lived there for 40 years where he was a shepherd, he cared for sheep. It's how he survived. While he was in Midian, Pharaoh died. That Pharaoh who was killing all the babies, he died. And God heard his people, the cries of his people. Check this out. A little bit, for, a little bit later in Exodus 2, tells us God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God's heart breaks for the oppressed. He sees his people. He hears their groaning. He hears when, when you cry out to him, he hears you. And when God saw his people enslaved in Egypt, crying out to him, he had a plan, a plan to free them. So while Moses is tending his sheep, one day he's out and he sees a bush that's burning but isn't burning up. And this is when God spoke to Moses and revealed his plan to him. Check this out. Exodus 3 now. When the Lord saw that he, that being Moses, had gone over to the bush to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God's got a plan. He's got a plan. He's going to use Moses to confront Pharaoh 
and tell Pharaoh to let his people go, let God's people go. But Moses pumped the brakes. Check this out. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Okay, did you catch that? Moses is like, who am I to do this? And God reframes his perspective. And he says, I am the one sending you. It's not, this isn't about you, Moses. This is about me and what I'm going to do through you. And sometimes, like Moses, we need our perspective to shift. When we're looking at a giant problem, it's easy to think, who am I to conquer that? Who am I to get through that? But we got to stop focusing on our inability, and we got to start focusing on God who is able, who will come through, who will do what he said he will do. The, the conversation continued for God and Moses, verse 13 now. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am who I am. Yahweh. That's how it would be said in the Hebrew. There is a lot of significance in a name. Yahweh. I am who I am. It literally means I was, I am, I always will be. God was revealing himself to Moses and his people as a personal God who has existed forever and will always exist. You see, God is an absolute being. He's eternal. He's personal. He's dynamic. I am who I am. Yahweh. It's the, the best that God could do to, to capture his character in a name. A name that the Israelites would revere. When they would write on scrolls, they wouldn't even write the vowels of Yahweh because they had such reverence for this name. So, God speaks. He speaks to Moses and he reveals his identity to him. And then God tells Moses how all this is going to go down. So Moses knew on the front end what to expect, because it wasn't going to be easy. He said this in Exodus 3, 18 through 22. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and to say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he'll let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward his people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder 
the Egyptians. Okay, the plan. Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to tell him, let my people go. And he's going he's gonna to oppose that. He's going to oppose me. He's going to refuse. So I'm going to send, I'm going to do some wonders. And then eventually he's going to say, all right, you can go. But before you go, you're going to be able to plunder them very easily. I mean, that sounds like a pretty legit plan, if you ask me. Then again, I'm on the outside looking in. For Moses, Moses had some objections. Exodus 4.1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? So God goes and he, he gives Moses three different signs that he can perform to prove to the people that God is the one who spoke to him, called him, and has sent him. But Moses objected again. Now in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. God then reminded Moses, Look, Moses, I'm the one who gives the ability to speak, and I'm the one who's going to speak through you. And yet, Moses still objected. Verse 13, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. But God doesn't back down. God intends to use Moses to fulfill his purposes. Sure, God says, all right, fine, you know, Aaron, your brother can be a part of the plan too. He can do, he can do a lot of the speaking. And, and when, I, when I look at this account and I think about it, I just wonder like, how many times has God called us to something? Like he's wanted, to, he's wanted to do something in us, he's wanted to do something through us, and yet we've objected. We've just flat out objected. Maybe, maybe it's we're stuck in a sin pattern. We just keep doing that thing. We don't want to do it. And yet we're also, what we do is we're just rejecting Jesus. We're rejecting his forgiveness. We're rejecting the freedom that he offers. Or maybe for you, it's you just you feel lonely. You feel isolated. Like some people seem to move on since COVID, but you haven't. Like you still feel that way. You can't help it, but you feel that way. But how many times when we feel lonely and isolated, when someone invites us to go out to dinner or maybe invites us to join a community group, we're like, no, no, no. Well, maybe we do have a part to play in this. Or, or maybe it is like you just want to make a difference with your life. Like you want your life to matter. And yet, the way you spend your days doesn't reflect that. When someone invites you to, to serve on a team at church or serve your neighbor or maybe serve in the local community, you always have some excuse. You see, sometimes, just like Moses, God wants to include us in something. He wants to do something in our lives and through our lives. And yet we just object to him by not going the path he's called us to go. But here's what encourages me. What encourages me is that the longer I've known God, the more I've seen that his purposes always prevail. They always prevail. And I'll kind of illustrate it this way. So uh, years ago, years, long time ago, I was baptized. And shortly after I was baptized, I was like a high school student, well, end of middle school, going into high school, went to this summer camp. It was actually like a conference for teenagers. It was called Christ in Youth in the Midwest, and I was at this conference. Last night of the conference, I felt called to pastoral ministry. Didn't really know what that meant, but I felt like that was what God was stirring in my heart, so I talked to my youth pastor about it. 
Well, fast forward, we get back to town and our church did these things periodically called Youth Sundays. And on a youth Sunday, the youth group took over and they did the whole service from greeting people at the door, leading worship, preaching the message, the whole deal. The students in the ministry did this. Well, my youth pastor knew I was sensing this calling, so he slated me to do the announcements. All right. And this is a pretty big deal. So I rehearsed those announcements so many times. I mean, I could have recited them in my sleep. I went through those so many times. And yet, you wouldn't have known it on Sunday morning. <laughs> you would have had no clue. Because as I was standing up there giving those announcements, my legs were shaking so much. You could see it through the baggy pants I was wearing. Those were in back then. And I was shaking so much. After the service, the, the pastor's wife came up to my mom and expressed her condolences. Like, that she was sad <laughs> that I was so clearly nervous giving the announcements. <laughs> And yet today, I'm preaching my 143rd message. And you don't have to clap for me, because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Over the last decade, I, I, I've preached to audience of all sizes, all ages. And yet, even when I walk out on stage, I, I always feel this, this butterfly feeling. You've probably felt, maybe before a class presentation or another experience. And I, I feel that. And each time I open my mouth to, to preach a message like this or to give announcements or to do whatever I'm doing, for me, that's a step of faith. I'm trusting that while I don't feel qualified, God is going to add value to whoever's listening. He's going to speak. He's going to move. And what I've seen over the last decade is that each time I communicate on behalf of Him, Okay, I'm not like Moses, but I felt a call to share the good news of Jesus. And anytime I communicate that message, what I have seen God do is build a case that he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And I still got a lot to learn, but I, as I can look back on some part of the journey, I see God's goodness, his faithfulness, that his purposes are going to still happen even when I feel inadequate. And the reality is, is God's calling you to something too. It might not be to confront the king of a global superpower or to preach the gospel from the stage. That's okay. We're not here to compare callings. But I am here to challenge you to be obedient to what God's calling you to do. Because whatever he calls you to do, it's going to take you, it's going to require a step of faith from you. And you're going to have to rely on him. You're going to have to trust him. But I got to tell you on the other side, man, it is thrilling. Because that dependence upon God, it grows your faith. And you start to see it inspire faith in others. Now, the question is, when God calls, are you going to be like Moses and, and object? Are you going to drag your feet? Or are you going to embrace the call? And are you going to do what God's calling you to do? Eventually, Moses did, and God forewarned Moses about what was to come. He said it this way in Exodus 4, 21 through 23. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart, 
that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Well, as God forewarned, so it was. Moses went to Pharaoh, said, let my people go. Pharaoh opposed God, just refused. And so it happened. But no superpower, even the greatest superpower on earth, no superpower is a match for Yahweh, the God who was, the God who is, the God who evermore will be. You see, in the days that followed, God flexed. He flexed in a big way to prove the point that he is the one true God. In Exodus uh, 7, God explained what was going on to Moses. He said it this way, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Just as God forewarned, Moses went to Pharaoh, asked him to let God's people go. Moses, uh, excuse me, uh, Pharaoh objected, just totally refused, opposing God, and then God would send a plague. This happened 10 times over. 10 plagues in all, God sent. And in his book, Multiply, Francis Chan, author, pastor, he explains the significance of the plagues this way, okay? It's a bit of a longer quote, but it's a lot faster than reading all 10 plagues, but it tells us what's going on here, okay? Listen to this. Understand that this battle is nothing short of a showdown between Yahweh, the God of Israel, and Pharaoh, the supposed son of the sun god, Ra. The Egyptians earnestly believed that their king was a god, and as such, he was responsible for maintaining order in the natural world. When God used Moses to deliver the 10 plagues, he was demonstrating his absolute power over everything that, the, that Egypt's God king claimed control over. Many of the plagues seem to have been directed against specific Egyptian deities. For example, the plague of darkness would have been an embarrassment to Ra, the sun god. But all of them would have undermined Pharaoh's claim to deity. Each plague that God sent was a vote against the Egyptian worldview and a vote for the fact that God is the one and only God. That's the point that God was making in this whole thing, so that his people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians would know this truth. Now, through the 10th plague, I want to take a moment to zoom the lens in on that just briefly. This plague was the death of the firstborn son. Through this plague, God not only freed his people from slavery in Egypt, but he also foreshadowed freeing us from our slavery from sin. You see, the way it worked was the Israelites, when, when uh, the, the angel of death came that night, it passed over the homes of the Israelites because they trusted in the sacrifice God provided by obeying God and in, in killing a lamb and putting the blood over their door. That's how they were told to, to demonstrate their trust and their obedience to God, that they are the people of God. So when that angel of death came, it passed over the homes of the Israelites. Well, since that first Passover, way, way, way back in 1446 BC, since that first Passover, Jews have been celebrating Passover ever since to remember God freeing them from slavery in Egypt, to celebrate the fact that God is the one who frees his people. 
Now, Moses and the Israelites, they experienced God's presence. They experienced his power firsthand. And we can too. So I want to encourage you, trust God to do what only he can do. Like Moses, it's tempting to take matters into our own hand. Like that time when Moses killed the Egyptian because he was beating one of his fellow Hebrews. It's tempting to take things into our own hand. So what do we do? Well, we get that latest self-help book off Amazon, and then we apply every principle as if that's our path to the life we desire. Or it could be banking on the program we purchased to free us from the addiction or the thing that we, that habit we just can't get ourselves out of. Now, this is going to be hard to hear as Americans who like pride ourselves on our independence. But the truth is, we can't free ourselves from the hole that our sin got us in. Only God can do that. Only God can do that, and only God has. You see, Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. And by his blood shed on the cross, we are now free from our sin. We no longer have to live life apart from God. We no longer have to be held back. We no longer have to be held captive. No, we are free. In Galatians 5, Paul writes this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened by, uh, again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that we've been set free, and that is all because of Jesus. So, trust God to do what only He can do. And the second thing I want to encourage you to do is, is obey God by doing what He calls you to do. I don't know what it's going to be. You know, for Moses, it meant going to Pharaoh. I shared part of my calling with you. I don't know, for you, maybe maybe God has blessed you with a baby and you just don't feel qualified. You don't feel like a good mom. So you spend your days scrolling Instagram trying to figure out what you should do to be a good mom. Now you can learn stuff from Instagram, but I want to challenge you to open God's word and let that guide you. Because for thousands of years, God has been speaking to parents about how to raise kids well. He's been doing that through his word. Or maybe, maybe for you, you just got a promotion at work and you're pumped about the position, but you're, you're, that's evident publicly, but you know, privately, you're kind of like nervous that other people are going to realize you're actually not qualified for the job. You're concerned that they're going to find out and then you're going to get a demotion. How about this? Instead of trusting your own willpower, what if you trusted the power of God's spirit at work within you to do what he's called you to do? Or maybe, maybe you, you have tried like the church thing and you're like, you've just written it off. You're like, you know what? I, I'm not a religious person. I might be spiritual, but I'm not religious. And, and you're just here today because, I don't know, someone's giving me a lunch afterwards. I don't know what got you here, but you're here and you're like, you know what? Uh, it's not for me. I, I want to challenge you to reconsider Jesus. And here's why. Jesus but it heads with the religious establishment as well. And what Jesus did was provide a way to connect with God. For the longest time, it looked like religious practices, but Jesus is like, no, 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 the way to connect with God is through me. He said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And that's, that's the way we can experience life with God. So if you decide, you know, I want to explore Jesus, we'd love for you to explore Jesus with us. Because we're just a group of people who love Jesus and are doing our best by the work of His Spirit in us. We're just trying to follow Him. And we've found that it's way better to follow Him together. I don't know what it looks like for you, 
but trust and obey. Trust and obey. That's what God's calling us to. Moses didn't get it at first hand. Pharaoh didn't ever seem to really get it. So, whether you are tempted to object to God like Moses did or to oppose God, just flat out oppose him like Pharaoh did, I want to remind you that God is the one and only God and he sent his one and only son for our freedom. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this truth. Thank you that we have freedom in you, Jesus. We celebrate that and we ask that you would help us to trust you more, to obey whatever you're you're asking us to do. And when we live not to earn anything, but would we live out 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 of a position that we are free, that we don't have to continue in our sin, that we don't have to be stuck in a rut because of what you did on the cross, Jesus. We praise you for that. In your name, amen.